It's Fire Away Friday. Fire Away Friday. On Exploring the Word, this is your chance to ask us your Bible question at 888-589-8840. That's 888-589-8840. You can also email your question at word at AFR.net or visit Facebook.com slash Exploring the Word. Exploring the Word. It's Fire Away Friday on American Family Radio. Yes, it is. Fire Away Friday. It's the day Alex and I really look forward to. I won't say it's more than others, but just a little bit because that means we get to talk more of those who are listening. And so this is Exploring the Word, Bert and Alex with you, and it is Fire Away Friday. I want to give you that number that you can call and ask us your Bible question. It is 888-589-8840. That's 888-589-8840. Some of you must have it on speed dial because we already have people lining up to ask their question. Alex, it's been a great week. Uh, I really enjoyed the last two days in Hebrews chapter 11, brother. I That is one yes. of the most amazing chapters because you have, I think it's real life, that is a victory, and then those that have difficulty but ultimately have victory. You know, the victory is for every believer, no matter what happens to them in this life, when they know Christ. Amen. Well, it's been great. And, you know, talking about faith and trusting in God, it's always the, these reminders that we need because we can trust God. And I don't think anybody's going to get to heaven and get reprimanded for trusting God too much. <laughs> Amen. M- maybe Good doubting, but uh, you can't overtrust God. He is faithful, isn't he? He really is. And people are calling in. Matter of fact, man, they're lining up like everything. So we try try to get to as many as we can on Friday. So you ready to go? Let's do it, folks. The number is 888-589-8840. 888 We'd love to have your Bible question on this edition of Exploring the Word. So first, we go to Georgia and talk to Joshua. Welcome, Joshua. Yeah, thank you, gentlemen, for taking my call. Uh, for lack of a better way of saying this, could you please give me a history a history, the an argue proof um, um, analysis of the historic historicity of Christ, please. Thank you, Joshua. Thank you. Let me just tell you, and and I'm saying this from the bottom of my heart. When a question like that is asked, I say you call the right place, because Alex McFarland. This is one of, I, I'm serious. I I give short answers, but Alex, he's got this, Alex. Uh, give Joshua a synopsis of what you can say. Uh, if you were, it send some of your books so they could buy a book, I know. But go ahead, brother. Well, God bless you. Yes, did Jesus Christ really live? And the absolute, the answer is absolutely yes. Uh, Christ was historical. Now, how do we say that? Well, for one thing, we've got the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that have been acknowledged as being impeccably historically accurate. But I realize that some people might say, well, that's using the Bible to prove something from the Bible. So I understand we, to persuade somebody of the historicity of Jesus, uh, we're going to invoke a couple of other things as well. But let me say, it should not be overlooked that the Bible is recognized as being historically accurate, 
and some of the most accurate, detailed history that we have of the first century is from the New Testament. There's nothing about the New Testament that's ever been uh, refuted or even really questioned by serious historians. Now, beyond that, we have Josephus, a Jewish historian, and Josephus's writings have come to be known as uh, the Antiquities of the Jews. Now, the the man that even Wikipedia says is the greatest Josephus historian, uh, Louis Feldman, he's passed away. He was a Jewish historian. And Louis Feldman, my friend Michael, Dr. Michael Lycona was friends with him. Louis Feldman uh, said that the, the Josephus references to Jesus were authentic. Josephus talked about a man named Jesus, did miracles, was said to be the Son of God, and was crucified and died and was said to have arisen. So you've got Josephus, who is very historically accurate. Then you've got a Roman historian named Phlegon, P-H-L-E-G-O-N, that references when Christ died on the cross at Passover, the darkness extended all the way from Jerusalem to Rome. Let me give you two more thoughts here, folks. So we've got the New Testament, very accurate. You've got Josephus. But listen to this, folks. Um, Gary Habermas, Ph.D. from Michigan State, he wrote a book. He's written many books, and he's actually working on a three-volume, 2,400-page set, the definitive magnum opus on extra-biblical references to Jesus, Jewish, Greek, and Roman sources, but I'm going to give you the synopsis. He wrote a book called The Historical Jesus, Ancient Evidence for the Life of Christ, published by College Press in Joplin, Missouri, that talks about all of the extra-biblical references to Jesus. Now, when we say extra-biblical, we're talking about things that not Christian sources, Jewish, Greek, and Roman sources, in addition to the New Testament, that reference Jesus was crucified under Pontius Pilate, uh, did miracles, rose from the dead, um, his dis- disciples, not 300 years later, but contemporary within weeks, within four weeks after the cross, were saying Jesus is the Son of God, he is the Savior. But Bert, one final thing that I want to say, uh, that yes, Jesus is historical. Everything that you read in the New Testament is corroborated by outside historical evidence. One more thing. One of my heroes, and if you listen to the show much, you've heard me talk about Will Durant, hands down, among professional historians, known to be one of the greatest historians who ever lived. And Will Durant became a Christian before he died. He got the Presidential Medal of Freedom in 19, I think it was 1978. Worked 50 years on something called the History of Civilization, which was said to be one of the greatest works of history in history. Okay, Will Durant said this, and listen carefully, and I'll throw it back to you, Bert. He said, if you discount Jesus... If you say, okay, Jesus never existed, there was no Jesus, Wilderant said, if you say that, you have to throw out a hundred other names that no historian would dream of questioning, but the evidence for whom is far less significant. Uh, You know, uh, Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, Julius Caesar, all basically, Wilderant said, if you say Jesus wasn't real, 
then you're basically saying we can't know anything about history because the top 100 names that no one would question, we don't nearly have as much evidence for. So, Bert, all of that to say this, it's real. Amen. Joshua, listen, I can't add to that. Uh, when when you get past scriptures and Josephus, like all of that, you get to it and you know it. Let me share this. One last thought real quick. When you look at the Old Testament and you see how many of those prophecies are concerning Jesus, his birth, his life, his death, even resurrection, and you see the New Testament and those coming apart, coming to happen, and you look at them and you line them up, the percentages of somebody, one person, writing and, and getting all those right would be phenomenal, much less five, six, seven writers, authors, and them going back and getting it right at different times and at different places. I, I can just share with you, yes, Josephus, Flake, that, that adds to it. But scriptures themselves is the greatest evidence because scripture is accurate and it is history as well. I appreciate mm. that. Great question. Alex, thank you for that great answer. And I, I just want to say thank you for all you do and how you have studied and let that be a part so you can respond so readily. Let's go to North Carolina and talk to Lewis. Welcome, Lewis. Alex and Berg, how are we doing? Doing well. Oh, good. Good to hear from you. Good. Uh, first of all, Alex, real quick, I, I met one of our brothers in Christ, Dave. Okay. He does the equip. Oh, Dave Glander. Yes, D- David Glander yeah, is a so, dear brother in Christ, uh, and and he and I are headed yeah. to Georgia to a youth camp this week. Yeah. Well, we had we had two uh, so far two years back to back with him. Well, uh, he, he's, he's a, a powerhouse. I'll tell you that. Uh, he and loves the Lord. Let question. me say. Oh, you're telling me. Uh, my question, real quick, is the word says that the dead in Christ will rise first. I'd like clarification on that, please. Okay, let me give you a quick answer, Alex. You can add to it. But you find this in First Thessalonians chapter 4. The issue in First Thessalonians was they were wondering, and they were asking Paul, you know, Christ hadn't come back yet, and they have people that have died, and we're wondering about them. Do we need to wonder? And listen to this. And, and I think this says real qu- clearly, Lewis, listen to this. And I won't read the whole thing, but chapter 4, starting in verse 16, Alex, I think will help. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Look at verse 17, Lewis, and it'll help. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Now, again, I'm not trying to be flippant. I'm not trying to be uh, anything but truthful. The dead in Christ, guess what? They're the ones who have died. They've gone to be of the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, but their body remained. There's going to be a resurrection body at that point in time, and those that are dead, and those those bodies come out of the grave, that happens. And then those of who are alive, we go up to see the Lord together. Notice the words together, Alex. It's uh, we shall be caught up how? Together. Together. In other words, what you have, those, and again, not trying to be mean or flippant, that are six feet buried in the ground, 
they get a little bit of a small exactly. uh, early calling than we do who are already there. I know that may sound flippant and simple, but it really is when you look at this passage, that's what it's referring to. You know, Bert, this might not be a great illustration, but I remember when I was a little bitty child and I was in a Christmas play at the church and we were backstage in this line of probably 15 kids and one by one as we went out, they put a choir robe on us and we were behind the curtain waiting for that curtain to raise and I remember I was probably two-thirds back in the line and I thought, it's coming up to me and as I walk through that door, they'll put a choir robe on me. Well... You know, the the dead in Christ will rise first, and a second later, we who are alive and remain will get our, not a choir robe, but the robes of righteousness, a, a glorified body. We will. Lewis, thank you for calling. We appreciate you, brother. And we're going to come back with more of the Bible questions right after this break. Stay tuned. Don't go away. More is coming. Oh, this could be the day. Woke up this morning listening for the trumpet. Alex and Bert back on Exploring the Word. So honored that you're listening. Hey, by the way, the number, folks, is 888-589-8840. We'd love to get your Bible question. You know, Bert, in that first segment, we had a call about the historicity of Jesus. Now listen to this, folks. One of the most brilliant people, C.S. Lewis, in the mid-20th century, he was a great defender of the faith. And somebody asked C.S. Lewis about you know, did Jesus really live like we read about in the the Gospels? And C.S. Lewis said, yes, he absolutely did. Now listen to this. Lewis said, if Jesus had never existed, then we have an even bigger enigma on our hands, the changing of the whole world by a myth. My goodness, we set the calendar by the life (laughs) of Christ. Schools, hospitals, churches, the world over, the most circulated, most printed, most influential book in history, uh, the moral code of Jesus. C.S. Lewis said it would take way more faith to believe the, the whole world and the human race has been wonderfully changed, transformed by Jesus. Uh, if there had never been a Jesus, then Lewis, who himself was a renowned historian, he said, never has there been uh, a myth to so wonderfully impact the human race. Uh, clearly, Jesus is real. Amen. But folks, we hope he's real in your life. Amen. And he can be today. Amen. Thank you so much. Let's let's go to the phone lines, Alabama, and it's Laura. Laura, welcome to Exploring the Word. Hi, Alex and Bert. I want y'all to know I love y'all so much. Well, what part of Alabama are you from, Laura? Fayette County. Okay. Yeah, know where that is. Been through there. But go ahead with your Bible question. Um, I was wondering about tithing. I've heard different people and, you know, I just I just want to know the truth about how much I always heard ten percent, but then other people say different things. I wanted to know what what truly how much tithing we are to give. Let me give you a quick overview, real quickly. Did you know a tithe was paid before the law? Now, in the law, we find in Numbers eighteen twenty one about the tithe. You can look at Numbers eighteen and find that. But before the law ever came, Abraham paid a tithe to Melchizedek. 
That was before the law. And then Jesus would talk about it in Matthew 23 about all those Pharisees, man, how they were detailed in the tithe. Alex, tithing started. It, it, it's a place to start, but it's all through the Bible, isn't it? And when you come to the New Testament, uh, it, it says giving more than tithing, but it's kind of still the tithe is a, would you say, a, a place to start or a, a, yeah. an examination, you know, looking at it from a 10% per, uh, say? Yeah, you know, look at 1 Corinthians 16, folks, If you or when you get home with your Bible, look at 1 Corinthians 16. Paul says this, you know, uh, about the collection, all right? That's the offering, yes, 2,000 years ago in the early church. And here's what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 16, too. Upon the first day of the week, let it—and that's Sunday, by the way—let every one of you lay— by him in store as God has prospered him, that there be no collections or gatherings when I come. Now, Bert, it's been said that a Christian under grace should at least do as much as an Israelite under the law. You read Malachi 3, and you'll read about, you know, the tithe in the storehouse. Uh, Generally, tithing is understood uh, as we give to our local church where we're fed, but then beyond the tithe, there's offerings. So tithes and offerings, and I'm just going to say it really is a a faith matter uh, between the person and God. I will say this, that uh, you can't outgive God. And honestly, tithing is not so much a financial matter as, as a heart issue. Bert, do you do you agree? I, I believe it is, Alex. Listen, when you get your... I, I remember preachers saying this, and I thought, man, that's that's pretty sharp. There's a divine connection between your heart and your pocketbook. And uh, when you open your heart, guess what you do? You open your pocketbook. And today, that's not cash trying to do away with cash, looks like. But there's still that connection. Alex, I believe it is a spiritual matter. And, uh, and go ahead. Let me say one more thing. If you read Malachi 3, 10 and 11, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat in my house and prove me now, says the Lord. I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing so much that you don't have room enough to receive it. Now, and I I realize not everybody agrees with what I'm about to say, but let me read Malachi 3.11. God says to Israel, as they're obedient in their giving, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruits of the ground. Okay, so God says, look, you're trusting me and you're being obedient in your giving. Because, see, tithing and offering, we're, we're acknowledging, God, you are our source. Amen. And God says, hey, the, the, the worm that would have eaten up the crops, I rebuked it. I honestly believe a Christian, and I'm just saying Angie and me, I think... The cars have gone farther without having to go to the repair shop. I think somehow we've paid all of our own bills and uh, several family members too. And I, you don't give to get. You give because it's the right thing to do. But I promise you folks, you trust God with your finances, and he will bless you more than you can even calculate. Amen. And the blessings of being a part of a church— the blessings of being a part of AFR, the blessings of being a part of Samaritan's Purse. The list goes on and on. 
when you give to those, it, it's, it just is a blessing. When, when I see Samaritan's Purse going to the aid of those people in Turkey, I can't help but remember the money that, you know, yeah, we gave yeah. To, to help that happen. Not a lot, but we're a part of it. So part of the blessing that you get uh, yes, I believe it makes the car go longer, the tires last longer, the clothes. The shoes didn't wear out on the Israelites when they were in the wilderness. Isn't God, that something? God can do that, but the greatest blessing of all is being a part of what God's up to. So anyway, thank you for that good call. Let's go to Georgia and talk to David. David, are you there? Yeah. Go uh, right ahead, brother. You, Alex and Bert? Good, man. Good. Uh, I'm a first-time caller. I called yesterday afternoon when y'all were – program was being over uh i've wondered for years uh do you believe it'll be enoch or do you believe it'll be moses that comes back with elijah uh during the tribulation period david i i i'm gonna i'm not gonna take fifth i won't do these way it'll be one of them (laughs) Uh, yeah now i really we don't know and the key word you said which one do you believe uh, if you look at the two that did not die, it is Enoch and, and Elijah. If you look at the law and the prophets, it's Moses and Elijah. And and I see evidence either way, Alex. Go ahead. Yeah, you know, in the early church, they wondered about this too. And the two witnesses of Revelation 11, um, generally it's assumed to be, if they are known Bible characters, Enoch, Elijah, and Moses, that, that two of those three. Now, Moses, because so many of the judgments in the tribulation look like the plagues of Egypt, don't they, Bert? They really do. It's amazing, the similarity. Go ahead. Yeah. And so Tertullian and some of the early Christian thinkers, uh, some would say Enoch and Elijah because they didn't die. And, you know, after the the, the minions of the Antichrist kill the two witnesses, and the, the two witnesses, they're ministering for 1260 days, and they lie dead in the streets of Jerusalem, and then they stand up and get raptured to heaven. You know, Enoch and Elijah didn't die, but um, Moses had control over the plagues. So I, I think... Two of those three, which exactly, um, thankfully, we're not going to be here to find out because we're going to get raptured if you're a believer. Amen. But we might be watching from the sidelines of heaven. David, we gave you as a, a good answer as anybody can give you on that. I, I just want to tell you, if anybody comes down, they know who they are, uh, you, you know, give a little grace. I, I want to say, while we're talking on the radio, our producer, Brent Austin, as we call him, Brent 2.0, is over there <laughs> looking at Facebook, and he just put this. Sam on Facebook says he found us six months ago and loves having our uh, having conversations. Alex, that's what makes Exploring the Word a little bit different than a lot of Bible teaching programs, and, and we're not saying ours is better. Man, we got a lineup of preachers here on AFR that is just on unreal. But having a conversation between us and then the conversation we have with the callers makes it a little bit different, and uh, we enjoy it. And so, Sam, thank you for that. Let's go to Arkansas and talk to Betty. Betty, I understand you're a first-time caller. I am. Well, thank and you. thank what, you so much uh, for taking my call. Well, I'm glad you got well, through. You have a question for us? I am. Well, thank and you. And thank you so much for 
Okay, make sure your radio's off, Betty. We're going to give it. Get, turn your radio off, please, and then come back to the I've, phone. I've got it off. Okay, go ahead. No, what's your question? Yeah, what's your question for us today? Okay, all throughout the Bible, we hear about yeast and the leavening of the uh, Pharisees. And just point blank, bottom line it. Why does, I, I mean, I know that, that yeast, the leavening, is supposed to represent sin. Could you uh, expound upon that? I mean, I just know that God, don't bring no sacrifices to me that's got leaven, and that's what God's saying. So, but okay. why does he hate it? I mean, why okay. does it represent sin? Thank you, Betty. Alex, let me see. The Passover goes back, and they had to be ready uh, to go at any moment. And if they was going to have anything that they was waiting on something to rise, uh, it wouldn't be ready, would it? <laughs> that, well, that's true. That That's true. And unleavened bread was bread that you could eat, you know, very quickly. Exactly. But, but also the leaven, like in Matthew 16, 6, um, literally the yeast, uh, the leaven of the Pharisees. Now, why would the Lord make this illustration? For one thing, uh, when you put the yeast in the dough, as I understand it, uh, and I'm, I don't know how to bake bread, but I've been blessed to be around a lot of good bakers in my family, uh, my wife included, but it spreads throughout the whole mix. I mean, just it's funny how a little pinch of yeast will permeate itself throughout the entire batch of dough. And Bert, I think that's how sin is. In Matthew sixteen six, where Jesus said, you know, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, all right, what what was the, the sin that it might have seemed small, but yet it would uh, permeate throughout their entire life? Well, there was pride, there was greed, there was envy, there was jealousy. And Bert, I, th- I think that that comparison is something that the Jewish people would have understood. Just let me give you another illustration. Um, I was watching Shark Week on whatever that show is, uh, some science channel or something. You know, in the summertime, they'll have Shark Week. They said that a shark uh, was so keen on their sense of smell that one drop of human blood in an Olympic-sized swimming pool the shark could detect for two reasons. It had a keen sense of smell, but the, the whatever makes up hemoglobin disperses throughout the entire mix of the water. And Bert, isn't sin that way? Doesn't sin just weave its tentacles farther into our lives than we even realize. It really does. And again, that's why I referred back to Passover. Listen, sin will spread. Sin does that and causes delay. And you don't want to be found with sin in your life when Jesus Christ comes back. Keep a short list. Keep it confessed. And that yeast, it permeates the whole, whole part of that which is being baked. So I hope that helps. Let's go to Stephen. Yeah, let me get his uh, up here. Stephen in Texas. Uh, Stephen, uh, tell us what's going on today, brother. Stephen. Hello, Stephen. Yeah, Stephen, are you there? Okay, I think I can go and lock him out and then come back to him later. Let's go to Mississippi. Hello? Yeah, is this Mike or Stephen? Yes, this is Stephen. Okay, Stephen, go right ahead. Sorry, I had to jump out of the truck just for a second. Okay, go right <laughs> ahead, man. Uh, I was just wondering, because life, life is taking a bunch of stuff. Where can I look to find some biblical 
uh, scripture for starting over again. Wow. Okay, go ahead, Alex. Well, God bless you, and um, I I certainly don't know all the details of where you're at, but let me say, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ is a God of second chances and third and hundredth chances. And so, um, biblically, there's a lot of verses we could share, and uh, they're all good, but let me just tell you, we read earlier this week in Hebrews 11, the one who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Now, that's in Hebrews chapter 11, verse uh, 6. All right, so first of all, believe that if you turn your life over to God, he will receive you. Believe that, and he really will. John six thirty seven, Jesus says, the one who comes to me, I will in no way reject. The other thing I'm going to say, and there's so many we could give, um, is that Matthew 6, 8, God says that he knows what we need even before we ask. So starting your life over, number one, make sure of your salvation. And you say, Lord Jesus, please save me, forgive my sins, and he will do that. And then you simply, it could just say, Lord, help me. Bert, aren't you glad that we serve the God that he is a rewarder of those who come to him. But we just simply say, God, help me. And he'll begin to do that, won't he? He really will. If you're saved, let me tell you this. You take responsibility for what you did wrong, confess it, make it right as best you can. And then if someone else is responsible, have forgiveness, ask God to help you, and you move on trusting God. We hope that helps you, Stephen. And we'll be back with more. Not dead, he's surely alive. He's living on the Amen. God's not dead. He is alive. Man, that's played after uh, our first question today about the historicity of Jesus. Uh, he's alive and proof is there. Hey, Alex, we're going to try to get to all these calls, so we're going to try to give clear, precise answers. And the first one is Londa from Louisiana. Londa, welcome. Hi, how y'all doing? Doing good. good. How are you Welcome. doing today? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I'm not going to take too much of y'all's time, but I just wanted to call in and thank y'all very much uh, for keeping myself and my classmates in prayer. I just want to testify about the goodness of the Lord. Um, three weeks ago, I was traveling from um, Leesville, Louisiana, traveling back home where I live in um rain louisiana because i was commuting back and forth to nursing school in that area and you know i was just praying and fasting praying and fasting fasting because some of my uh, fellow classmates were not doing too well but god said it i believe it i stood on his word i prayed me and my church family prayed y'all also prayed and i just want to thank y'all and let y'all know that we all graduated on yesterday and now we are sitting to take our boards all of us already been hired placed in job positions, and I just want to give God the glory and ask him to keep his hand on us as we take care of his people, because we cannot do this line of work without God. Amen. 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 What a blessing. What a blessing. This this is why exploring the Word is so unique, and I, I think precious is that we have people that we're connecting with, and they give back testimony. 
Thank you, Londa. And we're going to keep praying for you do well on those boards and your classmates as well. That's not selfish. She's not just praying for herself. She's praying for her classmates as well. Alex, that's awesome, Amen. isn't it? God bless you, sister. Amen. This is wonderful. It is. Let's go to Tennessee and talk to Mike. Welcome, Mike. Thank you for taking my call. I have a question. Um, my son is, uh, uh, is and his wife are a longtime United Methodist Church members, and our church seems to be splitting over the uh, issue of homosexuality leaders, homosexual leaders in the church, and and uh, you know believing that that's okay. Uh, he is not on that side of the issue, but they are having meetings. And I would like to know how to advise him to handle that. And the church is going to split. And, and that, I'm just afraid of that. Okay. Thank you for taking yeah. my call. Let me give you something. I've had this in my hand waiting for the opportunity to tell you. Uh, listen what you can do, Mike. Listen and write this down. Uh, there's a, something available that AFR has. It's the theological era of, of gay Christianity. It's a 70 minute it can be a dvd or you can look at it on screen <coughs> it's 70 minutes the theological era of gay christianity and it will equip you or your son to help in knowing what to say and how to say it the theological era of gay christianity go to streaming.afa.net streaming.afa.net and you can watch it it's free for a limited time or you can go to resources.afa.net and you can order the DVD so others can watch it with you. Again, the theological era of gay Christianity. That Listen, I have no better recommendation than that. It is powerful and it is good, Alex. Yeah. Let me encourage everybody on this issue to read Second Peter chapter 2. Second Peter chapter 2, because it talks about false teachers and they begin with theological error, and they deny Jesus, they deny the gospel, that you have to be born again. But always, um, heresy goes from false teaching to greed to immorality to sexual deviancy. Sexual deviancy is basically hitting the bottom of a deep well that you've dug yourself into. And I want to say this as clearly as I can. Nobody Nobody is born gay or transgender. Homosexual ideation and gender dysphoria, in other words, homosexual leanings or gender confusion, is always a means of dealing with pain. Uh, And so, folks, um, if you're sitting under clergy that is twisting or outright denying what the Bible says about human sexuality, I can virtually guarantee they're also twisting and denying what the Bible says about salvation. I wouldn't spend one minute sitting under that kind of church. I agree with you, Alex. Well said. Well said. We hope that helps. Let's go to Mike in Mississippi. Welcome, Mike. Yes, sir. Uh, Appreciate you guys, what y'all do, and your listeners. Thank you, brother. I have a question. Yes, sir. Um, I have a, a couple of questions. What was Paul talking about in Corinthians when we said we will be judging angels? I'm driving, or I will look, will look up the passage. And the second one is, you know, y'all, was, y'all, y'all were talking about tithing. Does that apply to your, your time, too, to give the Lord? Ha, ha, ha. Let me let me take the time first, real quickly, Alex. I, I've 
I did this a long time ago. Listen, giving to the Lord, when we're working, that should be given. If you've done it under the least of these, you've done it unto me. Whatever your hand find to do, do it with all your might. I don't care if you're playing with your children, uh, studying the Word of God, going out and cutting the yard. Everything of that should be as under the Lord. Uh, I, I'll just say this. The seventh day is a day of rest, and we, we worship on that day. But I want to tell you, I don't think you tithe your time. I think all your time is of the Lord. And it is it is a blessing to work. It is a blessing to share. Uh, so, Alex, I, I don't, that may not be right with thought, your thought, but we, we're bad to listen list things, you know, vertically. First God, then, then my wife, then no. We list things. We should list them horizontally. Our life spent with their wife. God's over that. Our our time spent at work, God is over that. God is over everything, isn't he? He really is. And by the way, you mentioned the First Corinthians 6, 3, I believe it is, about we will judge angels. Um, two things this could mean. It could mean one or maybe both. Uh, the word judge, um, it can mean to judge or evaluate or pass a sentence, but it could also mean to exercise authority over. So, I don't know, maybe uh, imagine the body of Christ is sitting there and there's all these fallen angels. And God says, okay, look, here were the demons that prompted murderers to kill all these people. Uh, what do you want me to do to them? Uh, here, here are the demons that tempted you to sin. And maybe there, maybe in the hierarchy of fallen angels, there's some that uh, are the demons of drugs and substance abuse, the demons of divorce and violence, the demons of murder, uh, I think demons of heresy and false teaching. Maybe it means that the body of Christ, corporately and individually, uh, God will say, uh, here's what is righteous. Uh, this was the demon that hounded you all the days of your life. What do you want me to do? But then it also means... Uh, the word for judgment means to govern or exercise authority. Maybe we born-again believers in eternity will have some interaction with or even authority over the holy angels, yeah. the non-fallen angels. Um, I, it could be either or both of those, Bert. It is, and I can't add to that. I agree fully. Let's go to Shannon and talk in Illinois. Shannon, welcome. Hey, guys. How you doing? Doing fine. Good, Good to hear from you, man. Okay, so uh, in 2 Corinthians 5, 1, it compares our earthly bodies to tabernacles. So I was just kind of wondering about in John 14, 2, when Jesus is talking about mansions, if you possibly think that he might be talking about our glorified bodies. Okay. Okay, Shannon, I, you sent an email on that, did you not? I, I did send uh, an email on oh, that. Okay, great. I was in the process. We was looking at that, so I'm glad you got through. Let me share this with you. Notice what he says when he goes up in 14. He says, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. It does not sound like our bodies be there with him. Uh, in other words, our bodies will come and we'll receive our glorified bodies, and we go to him and we'll dwell in that dwelling place. Go ahead, Alex. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and really it's a different uh, word than like our, our body, even our glorified body. Uh, the word mansion really means like dwelling place as in some sort of a structure. Um, and so <clears throat> in the John 14, uh, 1 and 2, and boy, that's a beautiful passage, but especially in my Father's house are many mansions. Um, within the abode of God, we will have abodes that, you know, Jesus has gone to prepare place for us. So I uh, I don't think this is speaking of our body, but I think it's speaking of, um, you know, our mansions in heaven. I do too. Uh, and when you look at the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, it seems like structure. So Shannon, I, I think we're, it's two separate things, but we're going to have our glorified bodies, but our glorified bodies will have a place to dwell and it will be with him. That's the good news. Thank you for your call. Carrie in Mississippi. Welcome, Carrie. This Carrie? Carrie, yes. Thank you for calling. You're welcome. Thanks, thanks for um, taking my call. I listen to y'all every day, and I've been trying to call to get this question in. I went to UPC church for over 20 years. I moved to Mississippi in 2003 and haven't been back. Well, I went about two months ago, and I walked in a little bit late, and the pastor says, I caught the end of it, he says, now give that verse to the trinity believers and that threw me because i didn't see the difference in trinity and what they teach so i'm kind of confused <laughs> okay it's the oneness thing alex you know mm -hmm. and go ahead you because time i won't try to get to the other two so do it yourself if you would um you know the united the upc the united pentecostal church is very much often um well this has been one of the dividing lines about a subset of New Testament Christianity because um, modalism, M-O-D-E, like a mode or a manifestation, the oneness Pentecostals deny the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and that uh, God takes on a mode, like in the Old Testament, God was God the Father. In the New Testament, it was Jesus the Son, but now it's God the Holy Spirit. Well, um, while the Son was here on earth, that doesn't mean the Father and the Spirit ceased to exist. And now in the church age, as the Holy Spirit is working throughout the world, that doesn't mean the Father and the Son have ceased to exist. So, um, you know, Acts 2.38 is one of their proof texts where Peter is preaching and it says, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. But it goes on, they leave this off, They then you will receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Bert, let me say, throughout Scripture, and we have to trust God's revelation of himself, God has revealed himself as Trinitarian, one God, one nature, but eternally existing in Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Now, uh, I, in fact, Brent Austin has put up, I wrote an article about the Trinity, and I'll grant you, it's, it's deep, but that's how God has revealed himself. And the oneness Pentecostals, God bless them, but they're wrong in their yep. denial of the triune nature of God. It is. I, I just always refer to the baptism. You have all three present at the same place. How could that happen unless they were three distinct but yet one? And so thank you so much. We hope that helps, Carrie. Let's go to David in Texas. Welcome, David. Good evening. How are y'all? Doing fantastic. Good, Good to hear from you. Good. Yeah, you too. I appreciate all y'all do and your willingness to pitch in for the other 
uh, ministries there at AFR. Hey, uh, uh, got a family member reading the book of Enoch, and I'm not familiar with it, haven't read it. Uh, I believe it's one of the apocryphal books, but I'm just wondering uh, how uh, much stock should be put into it, uh, uh, how factual and all is it. Okay. Yeah, David, thank you for calling. Hey, I'm glad you're concerned about you, your people there doing it. Alex, give that answer to you. Find that. Is it in the book of Jude where it's referred to, something about the book of Enoch? Uh, yeah, and Enoch was a son of, let's see, was it Jared in the in the Old Testament? But um, I think people have a real interest in the book of Enoch, and it's mentioned in verses 14 and 15, because the book of Enoch, which, by the way, was never viewed as part of the New Testament by the early church, uh, but people have an interest in it because it mentions the Nephilim, which are also referenced in Genesis chapter 6. Um, let me say it's an interesting book, it's a historical curiosity, but I, it should not be trusted on the level of Scripture because it's not Scripture. Um, and I don't know, it's fine to study history because throughout the last 2,000 years of, of the Church Age, there have been you know everything from the sublime to the ridiculous. But um, I don't know, I meet a lot of people and they're, they're much more intrigued by things that aren't Scripture than they seem committed to things that are Scripture. So, um, you know, they're, these are called pseudepigraphal, additional writings that were known in the time of the early church, but they were never, ever viewed as Scripture by the Holy Church. And I, I don't know, I guess, when you've thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly read the Bible, if you still have any leisure time left over, you might look at some of these other things. But um, I, I think why I devote time to the false writings when we really don't have all that much time to devote to the true writings. Amen. And (laughs) when you start reading those, you find uh, it's just evident to me. I had to read them in college and seminary. They were were not on the same par. Mike from Texas is not going to get to go to you. His question, Alex, and you got time. We alluded to it, the difference in tithes and offerings. Mike, we'd love to get you on, but hope you're listening. Give us a quick, quick differentiation between tithes and offerings, Alex. Well, the word tithe means tenth, 10%. So if you made $100, a tithe would be $10. Then offerings are things over and above the tithe. And um, I think we are to follow God's leading in, in both of those. We are. And God, here's the, here's the bottom line. God loves a cheerful giver. The word in the Greek, and first time I heard it, I laughed. And I found out it means hilarious. He loves the guy and the gal or the couple that just enjoy. Man, I get to give this to my church. I get to give this to a ministry. I think it'll make a difference. Alex, it's been good to be with you. Let's come back next week and let's start the book of Acts. Yes, we will be in the book of Acts on Monday. Thanks for listening. God bless you. Be in church on Sunday. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.